everyone. Welcome back to another episode of AWM Insights. It's your power three, two CPWAs and a CFA. We are Eric, Brandon, and Justin. And each week we aim to equip you with the knowledge and skills you need to invest like a pro. And here at AWM, we like to point out that we are not loyal to Wall Street. We are loyal to you. And so each week we aim to cut through the noise of the news and what Wall Street is selling you to help you capture the returns you deserve. And so today we're going to tackle the topic of skill in the public markets. But before we do that, let's recap a little bit of what's been going on in the markets. Uh, It is crazy to think that we just celebrated, I guess that's the right word, one year anniversary from the COVID market bottom. And so just reflecting back quickly on a year ago of just the day-to-day uncertainty of how long COVID was going to be here. And so just a wild ride it's been uh, to think that it it has been a full calendar year already. Uh, Staying on that news, on the positive side, we've actually seen reporting that unemployment claims hit a pandemic low. So definitely excited to see that about unemployment numbers continuing to drop. Um, Randomly, we've also started to see some tech CEOs uh, being grilled at a hearing on disinformation. Um, We've seen a cargo ship being blocked in the Suez Canal. And then a story of maybe a cautionary one we work back in the news. I mean, this was the darling of the private markets for so long, had that iconic just failure of trying to initially go public at a valuation around $45 billion. And now we're talking about an estimated valuation through a SPAC of around $9 billion. So we could have a whole podcast just on that topic around private markets and, and going public. But uh, on the regulatory front, some positive news for banks that uh, they are going to be able to resume some buybacks and raise dividends this upcoming summer. And the SEC is beginning to sniff around some of these SPACs. As we know, the SPAC craze has been wild over the past year. Uh, Unsurprisingly, the SEC is starting to pay a little bit more attention to that. And then one final note, we've covered cryptocurrency so often on this podcast. It's tax time. And one of the questions uh, that we've been getting from clients, from listeners, and just something we want to make sure all of you are aware about is that Yes, uh, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, or anything else does have tax implications if you are a United States citizen. So make sure you're talking to your CPA about the reporting uh, that you need to do. We're actually going to put it in the show notes. There's an incredible guide by Coinbase that can kind of walk you through everything. So just looking out for taxes uh, and the burden there on the cryptocurrency Now that we're done with that, let's jump into the conversation, Justin, of how important are professional active managers in the public markets? How skilled are they? Well, uh, you're not going to give Brandon a hard time for not not being here, man. Let's start. Hey, man, I'm kidding. You Uh, know, (laughs) You know, we we're, we miss you, B. Um, for for so many people are going through uh, through the vaccine uh, grind right now. Uh, let's just say that uh, Brandon's not as strong as he thought he was, but uh, he's on his road to recovery. We miss you, B. We'll have you back next week. There you go. 
Yeah, so um, to your point, uh, you, you made a statement how important active investors are in the market. They actually are really important, but how skillful they actually are uh, is kind of a, a whole nother question. And so uh, one of the most fascinating, in my opinion, um, kind of data sets, and we'll try not to get too geeky here today, but one of the most fascinating data sets available out there is, um, is produced each year. Actually, I think they do it semi-annually. Standard & Poor's or S&P, the same company that produces the S&P 500 index, it's actually S&P Dow Jones. So they also produce the Dow Do Jones Industrial Average, right? It's just this big data provider within financial markets. They put together a report each and every, um, or every six months, I believe, like I said, called the S&P Index versus Active Report. For short, it's uh, they call it SPIVA. Um, and it, it's fascinating. I mean, they look at the entire landscape. It's a very well constructed study of public market performance. They do it in the US, they do it in Europe, they do it in Australia, emerging markets, et cetera. So it, it's a great, great resource. We use it um, quite a bit ourselves and, and we use it to figure out our investing approach. And it's something we're constantly looking at. Our investing approach isn't necessarily static. We're constantly challenging it. Um, but in Time and time again, it, it, we're reaffirmed in our approach to not try and time the market, not get too cute with active management. And really the data behind it is, you know, you could look at, uh, look at the, the S&P report and, and say, okay, well, last year, about 60% of all actively managed mutual funds underperformed the market. If you were just taking the, the landscape on face value, you would expect at least 50% would underperform and 50% would outperform just by, by, by random chance, right? And what we actually see is that because of the fees and whatnot that are involved with investing and, and on the active side, those fees are generally far too high in our opinion, my opinion. Um, you, see, you see that they perform worse than just pure chance. So that's kind of where that 60% uh, underperformance number comes from. You know, there's some noise around that each each year. Sometimes it's uh, it, it's as high as 70 percent underperforming. Sometimes it it is a little bit better than chance. But you know, one of the one of the the questions you have to take your take a step back and ask is, okay, well, maybe there's some noise in each and every year. It certainly trends to overall underperformance, kind of for the reasons I just alluded to. But then we're long-term investors. I mean, we underscore that fact time and time again. So. What happens over the long term? And I mean, the numbers just get even worse. You start to you look over a ten-year period of time. Uh, it, it everything gravitates towards around seventy percent of, of fund managers underperforming the the index or the benchmark. Over a twenty-year period, it's eighty-five plus percent. And in some cases, it's even ninety, ninety-five, depending on what part of the market you're looking at. Right, large companies versus small companies. Um, and then, additionally. Hey, let, let, let's ask the question, well, from a risk-adjusted basis, does it, do these numbers also uh, actually ring true or, or say the same, tell the same story? And what I mean by risk-adjusted is, okay, for every you know, percent of return that I get, how much volatility or how much up, up and down in the market do I experience over that, over a one-year period of time, just to really make things simple. And so you, you can look, you can compare kind of apples to apples from a risk exposure standpoint by doing that. And the same, the same data is true on a risk adjusted basis. So 
active managers in general are underperforming the market. They're, they're on an annual basis, they're doing even worse over long periods of time. And then when you take into account risk as well, the, the numbers are still very, very um, much kind of in favor of, of not playing that active management game. You know, there, there are some, like I kind of alluded to, there are some outliers in certain parts of the market. Small cap value last year actually did okay, did, did better than chance, if you will. Same thing can be said, though, when you start to look over long periods of time, right? Over long periods of time, 80 to 90% of those managers generally underperform. And then, and then let's ask the question, too, about persistence, right? I mean, that's, that's incredibly important. And, you know, Eric, I don't know if you want to un- kind of unpack yeah, what persistence yeah. is, right? Well, well, what I was going to say is, and I think this is so hard emotionally for us as humans, because in so many other areas of, areas of life, there is this outperformance in whatever we do because of the extra hard work that I've put in, right? Or, or this skill. And so it's hard to emotionally believe what we're saying here is that these organizations, these huge investment funds, mutual funds, hedge funds that have all these analysts all over the world, right? And, and spend all this time in this technology. What we're saying is, is that all of that's for naught. That that they literally are spinning the wheels and charging you, the investor, these expensive expense ratios to underperform the market. And that even when we talk about persistence now of what we're saying is, all right, Justin, sure, 85% don't outperform, but how about the 15%? Why don't I just go look at who those 15% are and that's who I put my money with? Because for us, that actually makes sense on the private markets. We've talked about this on previous podcasts that the top decile of venture funds continue to win year over year over year over year. So isn't that true in the public markets? Well, we've actually seen the answers no, that yes, that 15% may outperform, but you cannot figure out who they are ahead of time. So there's this famous study done by Fama and French called Luck versus Skill. And ultimately what they see is, yes, 21% of the top decile publicly traded active funds may repeat success. The problem is, is you don't know who they are. And that probability is equal to what you expect to see just by chance, just by luck. And so I think one of the hardest things why we will never see everybody just adopt this and go, hey, that's what the evidence says is we are hardwired in the wrong direction as investors. And I think that that's what's so wild is there's this other question of like, well, isn't there risk, Justin, if everybody goes passive? Like, doesn't the whole passive thing blow up if we all just say no more active management? What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, it's a super interesting question. And I, 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 you know, I think a lot of people within our our field have strong opinions on it. I think, I think it's so hard to tell um, what truly would happen. I mean, the the most compelling argument that you know nothing potentially, or I shouldn't say nothing would happen. I mean, there's always unintended consequences or, or unknown consequences. Is that think about the market, all the market participants, right? You listeners, as individuals, institutions, you guys all, even just within our client base um, specifically. We have so many different needs within our clientele. We're we're buying and selling 
in the market on a daily basis just to meet your liquidity needs and and or or you know your contributions they need to be put to work and we're going to put them to work in a in a certain way and so there's there's just kind of table stakes there's always money coming in and going out of the market based on all the market participants or individual investors unique preferences and that in and of itself makes a market right and then you add uh, a, a component of one or two people within that framework that are, you know, quote unquote, active managers. Uh, and and I could I can see a market still functioning in an efficient manager manner, right? Like just think about real estate. A single real estate transaction has, you know, it depends on the market, right? Sometimes it's only a buyer and a seller. In, it's definitely not the case um, right now, but there could be one seller to 20 different buyers in the current market, depending on where you are in the U.S. here. And that's that's not very much relative to the public stock market that we're talking about here. And and that real estate market is still arguably, you know, somewhat efficient. Right. A buyer and a seller are coming together and, and making an agreement to sell. Um, and there's not that many of them. Right. And yeah. And I think you you bring up such a good point that we have to take a step back and look at look at what is the market, right? What is the structure of the market? Trillions of dollars flowing through this, right? Highly, highly intelligent people. And I think that that's always the case we forget. What we're not saying is, is that people aren't intelligent. We're actually saying the opposite, that there's so many intelligent individuals and incredible technology and software and trillions of dollars flowing through this and oh, by the way, it's regulated, right? It's it's publicly right. traded information available at the same time. And so what we're not saying is, is that the price is necessarily right. None of us really know is the price right or wrong. It's just you can't trade on it quick enough to trade it on either way in any predictable fashion. And so what we're saying here is not that you should just, you know, uh, exit stage left and not worry about trying to make good decisions. We at AWM believe that the evidence shows you can outperform the market over the long term based off of the evidence, right? Off of some of these factors that we've talked about in right. our previous podcast on the sources of returns. And I think that will always be available because people are emotional. People do not stay disciplined. We know this, that a large part of life is when you look at high performers, people that outperform, a lot of times it's just how did they behave? Were they willing to do things that were uncomfortable that nobody else was? And now you get your outperformance. And that's the thing. We've seen it with, with value, right? Small value had been this thing that every article in the last 10 years is it's dead, you know, Fama and French, they're, they, they're behind the times. It's been weeded out and boom, it shows up overnight. And so I think when we hear as the listeners, what we're trying to tell you is you don't need to pay for this active management that's costing you money and costing you returns, that there is a better way. And there's one of these research reports that's been out by Morningstar, it's been out by Vanguard, is that the value of portfolio construction, so this investment advice that most people are paying for, it's now a commodity. You, The, the value of that's actually about 0.45%. So all these financial advisors, brokers out there that are charging you 1%, 
they absolutely don't justify their fees. Um, and so what we're trying to once again, equip you with the tools and the resources to say, when you think through professional pro expert investment management and financial structures and portfolio construction, there's so many other things that drive value. And I'd love to hear, Justin, what are some of those things that drive value that investors should be looking for and an expertise when it comes to investing? Well, you touched on some of them, right? Where, where these factors, if you will, sources of return that we we've touched on, don't want to go down that, um, that path again today, but right. Focusing your portfolio, your public market portfolio on these areas that have persistence going back to that term, right. Have proven, uh, over the long term to provide some outperformance relative to the market. Then the private markets, we, we talked about that as well, where there's, there's less efficiency. There is, evidence of persistence if you can get access to these top quartile, top decile type managers, right? And it makes sense to actually participate in that that space. And then kind of what you were alluding to, focusing on what you can control. We can control our portfolio management techniques, our trading um, tolerances, if you will. I mean, we're, we're sitting here, you know, basically on the one year anniversary of the, the COVID crash, right? Let's call it that. And no one predicted that. No one knew exactly when that was going to happen. No one knew a pandemic was going to hit, you know, uh, what, 18 months ago. And and we certainly didn't, but we have portfolio management rules in place. So when the market corrected 20 plus percent and hit that amount March 20 something in uh, last year, we have triggers in place to, to harvest losses that may show up in the portfolio go into something similar so your overall exposure to the market is consistent. We also just have tolerance bands to, to sell fixed income and buy into equity, even if there isn't a loss in that scenario, right? Where we're just, we're rebalancing based on what the market's doing. Fast forward a year a year later, I mean, those, those things look phenomenal right now. We look like absolute geniuses and, you know, we can pat ourselves on the back, but it, we didn't plan it, right? We had a plan in place beforehand, and but we didn't I, say the pandemic is going to happen. Yeah. And, and to your point, Justin, I want to talk about the value of this. To your point, this is what professionals do, right? They look at right. the evidence and say, intelligent rebalancing, tax loss harvesting, asset location, these things matter so much because as an investor, what I care about is not the gross return, it's the after-tax return. It's the after-tax totally. dollars that I get to choose to spend, that I get to choose to gift, that I get to choose to reinvest. And so when you look at these things, these studies that are out there, right? This isn't what we're saying. This is what Vanguard's saying. This is what Betterment's saying. This is what these independent third-party research is showing that tax loss harvesting, uh, the the evidence says that it adds 0.77% of annualized return to your portfolio, intelligent rebalancing 0.35% to your annualized returns, asset location, 75 basis points, tax efficient withdrawal. We're talking about two to 3% of additional annualized return by having these rule-based tax efficient strategies in place. And so if you want to outperform, right. stop trying to pay, play the game of, of luck of, of impossibility, put the odds in your favor and say, man, 
this is where real returns come from. And so this is why you need a CFA. This is why you need a CPWA. And this is why you don't need Wall Street. You need an independent advisor. Totally. And, and I, I want to underscore, like, you know, we are constantly looking at, at the, the data, right? If at some point, hey, the, the, the adoption of passive investing actually allows active managers to outperform the data backs that up, hey, we're going we're gonna to take advantage of that. Um, but, you know, again, we're going to be very rigorous in understanding those studies um, as, as thoroughly as we possibly can. And I think it's important kind of to tie that comment back into exactly what you were just summarizing, Eric, is uh, we, are, we are trying to outperform and, and we do generally outperform um, over the long term because we, we dedicate our resources where we have a very high confidence that, outperformance is there for the taking, if you will. Whereas, you know, trying to pick the next Tesla as an example or something like that, 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 that the probability that we can do that or that anyone can do that, it's just a low return event. So why are we going to dedicate our resources on your behalf to that endeavor? It just, it just, it doesn't make, the data doesn't make sense for us to do that right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we'll end with that, right? You know, it's, you hear us say this every single week is we know how hard you have worked for this money and, and our jobs to be here to help you capture those returns that you deserve. And so we just want to make sure that we're not allowing wall street to line their pockets by selling you and us, you know, the lie that you need their skill, because what the evidence has shown is that the only thing they consistently uh, do is sell us really expensive products that don't deliver. And so, you know, we talk about how do you do it the right way? How do you be a pro? It's hiring that independent expert who's going to build your portfolios and your financial structures based on what evidence does deliver. And as Justin alluded to is we believe that with the right portfolio construction and management that you can outperform the markets without having to, to outguess it. And so, you know, focus on the things that are going to bring you the highest probability outcomes, focus on what you can control taxes, rebalancing fees and the overall structure of your portfolio. And so head over to awminsights.com. I know we mentioned a bunch of resources. Once again, the crypto guide around taxes, you'll be able to download that in the notes. We'll link to some of these research reports that we've talked about, about active management. And we'd love to hear from you. Make sure you shoot us a note if there's a topic you want us to cover. But until next time, own your wealth, make an impact, and always be a pro. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.